Hi, welcome to Can We Talk Podcast, and I am your host, April Odom. This episode, I am interviewing Tamika Clear of Clear Coaching and Consulting. We talk about living an authentic life, how to overcome obstacles, and live without shame. Check out our interview. Know you're a life coach. Did you always know that you wanted to be a life coach or just kind of knew you wanted to help people? So, no, I didn't always know that I wanted to be a life coach. Um, At first, I thought, well, when I was a kid, I thought I wanted to be a teacher. And the truth of the matter is I still am a teacher. I'm still an educator, um, facilitator. Um, My understanding of a teacher, of course, at 16 was like high school or teaching elementary school kids. I didn't realize the different ways that you can educate and teach. Um, And then when I went to college, I thought I would be a therapist. Um, And so the desire to help folks or be involved in people's lives has always been there. But the channel um, to do it through uh, wasn't always final. And I heard Coach Carrie, um, Carrie, her name is Carrie Smith Osei. She was in uh, the L.A. area. I heard her probably in 2011. I heard her radio show. And she was talking about how she got into coaching. And it just sounded really similar to my path and to my journey. And I was like, okay, uh, that, that actually sounds like exactly what I want to do because I had been working in the mental health field while I was getting my sociology degree. I was working at a mental hospital. And I saw the way that the therapists were having to interact with the with the patients and it just it didn't seem from my observation and even from what I was doing there as a mental health uh, tech it just didn't seem like what I really wanted to do it's it was close but like not quite it and I when I listened to Carrie it sounded like there was going to be some variety and space for me Mm -hmm. and the way that I show up that that would be confined actually um, and directed in a particular way with therapy does that make sense Yes, it's, you basically knew you wanted to be in this area, and whenever you saw her, it kind of connected the dot, like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Yeah, it's like still, like, you still work in those areas with previous jobs that you did, but you was like, oh, this is it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I definitely get that. Quick question, what is a hood alchemist? Word, so. <laughs> um, hood alchemy uh, is a term that I'm using to talk about the ways in which those of us that are only not, that are not only from the hood, but that are of the hood and live in the hood, um, alchemize our, our situations, mm-hmm. alchemize our circumstance. And most of us do. Like, I don't know many folks that aren't living in the hood that are not alchemizing their circumstance. The, uh, the hood, the ghetto, the impoverished areas um, that predominantly black and brown people inhabit mm-hmm. were not created for us to flourish in. They yeah. were not, we were, li- our people, our ancestors and families and stuff were dumped in these areas. Um, either dumped literally and physically pushed into those areas by housing markets or something to that effect, or priced out of areas that they would probably rather live in, um, right? And so I grew up in the hood, um, and specifically in East Dallas. And I have lived in three different states, Dallas, Texas, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and now I live in Oakland, California. And I have lived in the east side of every one of those (laughs) cities because that's where I can afford to live, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And here in Oakland, East Oakland is one of the 
most populated by black folks and brown folks and poor folks. It's just, it is that area of Oakland. And so for me, there are lots of ways that we can be get into our environments in particular ways that aren't necessarily good for us. Mm-hmm. Um, there is definitely drug sales, you know, a, a couple of blocks away. There's sex workers uh, a couple of blocks away. No shade, no diss to sex workers. Um, but there's a lot going on over here that if you were raised in an area like this, you could you could definitely be influenced in particular ways. And then there are those of us that don't necessarily go that way mm-hmm. um, or that are influenced by it and use it to do something else with. So the way that I relate to people, the way that I talk to people, the way that I interact and engage specifically with black folks, for me, is a lot about all is about recognizing their brilliance, mm-hmm. recognizing our um, our magic and our wonder and our creativity um, down to the way we wear our hair, to the way we wear our nails, um, to the way we talk, the vernacular that we use. All of that to me is magic. Right. And, yeah. and brilliance. And for me, when I say I am the hood alchemist or when I talk about hood alchemy, that's what I'm talking about, taking the. The way we view the hood mm-hmm. and looking at it with, with these beautiful eyes, especially for those of us that appreciate where we've mm-hmm. grown up and still got mamas and cousins and uncles there or are still living there like I am. I have maybe not my hood, but I still live in the hood, if that makes sense. So it's basically looking at your surrounding, not with your conditioned thinking, but seeing the beauty that lies within. I mean, the conditioned thinking is, is I think, relative. Uh The truth of the matter is, this is informed by me being a college graduate, right? Mm -hmm. It's also informed by me being someone that had influences like my father, who is like this quirky, weirdo, Virgo person, um, and and people like my mother, who, you know, again, grew up poor, working class, had a village, so to speak, that was saying, go to school, go do that, that were giving influences Mm -hmm. that weren't just folks on the street or folks in your neighborhood, but then also were influences from folks in your neighborhood. So for me, it's about, it's about all of that being amazing. Mm-hmm. I think, I think societally we have a particular view of the hood. And then there are people that live in the hood. It's almost like how people talk about if you tell a fish that they're wet, you know, and it's like, it's a fish, it's in water. It don't. Yeah don't need to recognize like it, it's how it's always been for many of us i'm i'm talking about it as though i have not lived here all my oh life. yeah the truth of the matter is the way i'm talking about it is really about lifting us up mm-hmm. and not only lifting us up but help but it, it, the best of my ability helping us recognize it for what it is i was taught to get the hell away from the Mm-hmm. that's what I was taught that's what most of us are taught get up get out and get something right and I'm saying there is magic and wonder and beauty and brilliance and intellect right here right here and we ain't got to get up and get away from it we actually need to embrace it um, and embrace our people because the hood isn't just this theoretical place mm-hmm. you know it's people here families and mamas and daddies and you know most folks are just poor and that's really the truth um, and and the, the systems that set the hood up the way that they are where you live in places like food deserts like where I live now it's a food desert mm-hmm. um, there's not a lot of 
good, you know, fresh produce and stuff like that. It's a, literally a liquor store every single block. You know, the way that they got this shit set up, it's easy to get distracted, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's a distraction on every corner. Um, and I'm saying people like me, um, little weirdos sitting in the in their bedroom looking at the Dallas skyline, pretending it's somewhere else, mm-hmm. we don't have to do that. We don't have to do that. We can we can love where we live right now, and we can be invested in where we live right now, and we can pull the beauty and the magic and, and lift it up. Um, the creativity, the literal artists that, that come out of the hood, you know, we don't have to come out the hood. We can just we can be right here. And I, I think for me, when I talk about hood alchemy, I really am talking about medicine that mm-hmm. I feel like is already here and that we are taught to go seek elsewhere. And I'm saying, no, it's right here. Since you brought up growing up in Dallas, and that's one of my questions, I know you have spoken about some of the hardships growing up, mm-hmm. um, being homeless, mm-hmm. being physically and sexually abused. Um, a lot of people, whenever you go through something difficult, it's hard for people to transition and flourish from it. Like like you said, like this is where I'm from, this is what happened, but you can still see the beauty of it. Mm-hmm. How are you able to... Because some people... And I'm guilty of it sometimes. Something tragic happens and you carry it for 10, 20, your whole life. And a, a lot of things that happen, a lot of people is mostly carrying guilt for something that they didn't have control of or carrying shame. Yeah. Um, how do you, since you overcame that and worked on it, how do you, I guess, advise someone else to say not to be defined by something and be ashamed of it but how do you heal yourself and move on so that your life can flourish that makes sense yeah it does that's a good question thank you for asking that um i've been asked this question i think probably so people ask me this question like personally like us just kicking into talking Mm -hmm. i think i've been asked this question in an interview before and i wish i would answer it the way i'm about to answer it now (laughs) um so thank you again for asking that question um, I think the truth of the matter is all of that is still with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I choose to engage it differently. And the reason that I choose to engage it um, from the from the angle that I am engaging it is because I recognized a long time ago from influences, from like spiritual leaders, literally from spiritual leaders, to mm-hmm. be quite honest. Um, my pastor... Um, back in North Carolina, Roger Hayes, at Church of the Holy Spirit, that's the first person to ever tell me to get some therapy. Mm. And it wasn't no shade, it wasn't no read. It was it was literally out of concern for my life and for my well-being. Like why and literally saying to me, I see you and I get what's going on. But if you don't go do this for yourself, all that magic and brilliance that I see in you will be squandered. You're gonna you're gonna get yourself in trouble. You know, go take care of this. Um, and I will, I will always be grateful to that man for that. Um, if, if he ain't do nothing else for me, he definitely encouraged me to go take kids to, to engage my mental wellness, mm-hmm. um, actively. Right. And I was young. I was like 24 or 25. Um, I'm still pretty young, but that, you know, I don't know a whole lot of 20 somethings, um, in therapy. And I went, um, and I got, you know, diagnosed with depression and, was told about PTSD from early life stress and just all these terms and and ways of looking at 
my circumstance and looking at myself that I had that I didn't have before then. Mm-hmm. And I began to, you know, it I was that was city county therapy. So yeah. it wasn't the best therapist or best mental health facilities. But it started it started a, a, a like a snowball. Mm-hmm. And I started, you know, researching and doing um other kinds of therapy, and um, I, I discovered other ways of engaging even spiritually, mm-hmm. which I had always had some like variety around. I was raised Muslim, um, and specifically raised Muslim, and my my religion was taught to me by my pops, mm-hmm. like living in the house with him, and it was a very different way than a lot of Christian folks engage religion, and so God felt very close to, <laughs> to me, mm-hmm. um, and. And, and I had this kind of idea of accepting a, a belief that might be different from the one that I was raised with because that, that had already happened. Most of my family was Christian. My father came in with Islam, and I was able to embrace it. So I, I started doing even more of that work. And the more spiritual work that I did and the mm-hmm. more inter, like, intrapersonal work, you know, where's my mental health? Where, what's up with my depression? You know, do I have some um, anxiety how, what are ways to cope with that? The more that I learned and, and grew around my mental wellness, mm-hmm. the better I was able to shift my perspective, let something be what it was, forgive people, um, engage in conversations um, in, in ways that I wasn't able to do before. Um, my mother and I had began our healing process from about age 20 and I still feel like it's going on to this day. It's just at a very different place. Um, but around the same time that I started going to therapy, my mother started going to therapy. Mm. Um, and so there was, I've always been the kind of person that like, this is why I know I'm a teacher if I ain't nothing else. Because if I, once I pick up something, uh-huh. I'm going to go mess around with it, internalize it, and then I'm going to turn around and give it to somebody else. Yeah, just that, And it's natural for me. So I was definitely doing that with my mom. My mom was already on her own journey, doing her own personal work. Mm-hmm. And it also led her to therapy. So we were sharing back and forth. And um, so I also want to say the relationship that I began to build with my mother and I began to build with my, my brother mm-hmm. um, on right up under me. I have several brothers, but there's there's one literally 17 months younger than me. Those relationships also helped me transmute um all, all those many circumstances, being able to say, I'm sorry, being able to say, mm-hmm. I forgive you, being able to say, I see your humanity. I understand why you made the decisions that you made yeah. mom, out of your humanity. Um, you were taught the same rhetoric from Christianity about being gay, being wrong as I was, mm-hmm. that straight folks are just as indoctrinated with this crap as we are. And, and most of them that decide the things that they decide is out of that place. And it, it was literally going to therapy, living and seeing my own humanity, my own mistakes, and then being able to have that same kind of compassion for my mother and other people that had done things to me, you know, that were messed up. Um, and there are people that I don't interact with for my mental wellness, for my safety. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and some of it, I can't even say it's because of what happened then. Some of it is like, I don't like who you are right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, it ain't even... It ain't even just that you were sexually abusive. You're still a very not okay person, and I need to keep distance between us. But with folks like my mom and even folks like my dad, it's a constant 
right now in this moment, where is our relationship? You know, my father and my mother's relationship is very different. My father's been incarcerated most of my young adult life. Mm -hmm. And so building a relationship with him has not been the same as building a relationship with my mom. But we are um, building one now. And I think all those years of making wellness central to Mm -hmm. my life, I started going to conferences and you know, the, the We Are One retreat uh, or conference out in Durham, North Carolina, I started going to stuff like that. It it seems like in 2006 when my pastor said go, I just started eating it up and started surrounding myself with all those kinds of influences. And I think that, that that's how I was able to shift it and how I am able to still mm-hmm. shift it and, and live in it in, in a very realized way. I don't know I definitely get it and I kind of like how you um were discussing like like with your family they were able to go through the process with you because they were going through the process as well but also mm-hmm. like with people who might have done something to you and that you saw like they are not in this place so you saying like I am not going to bother with them because I think a lot of people it's natural for us or we've been told that we need closure and then sometimes when you're in that healing process if that person is not on the same page like they're not going to give you that closure so it's good that you're like you're not even we're not even the same space right now like it's no point of putting myself out there because you you knew where it was going to end Mm -hmm. you know so Mm -hmm. I think that was a great amazing point that you said and also like you're in your early 30s, and I think it's amazing that, and if I'm correct, you live without shame. I say. <laughs> like, most people, you know, could be in their 60s or 70s or, or die with some shame in in them from whatever happened. And how do you get to that point? Like, how do you, is it like a daily, daily work? Or are you just like, I don't give a fuck? Yeah, or you just you're just (laughs) are you just (laughs) is it just because you oh sorry (laughs) you just live an open life and with you living an open life it's easier for you to say this is who I am this is my story I have nothing to hide yeah yes (laughs) I don't even know yeah that's exactly what happens I uh uh it's it's daily like you said there are some times where you know particularly around class mm-hmm. right now I'm, I'm dealing with some some sh- what I call class shame um and so it's interesting right for me to be talking about being a hood alchemist that that is that right there that title me talking about that the way that I am it is one of the ways that I'm dealing with that class shame feelings of being a life coach the way we perceive life coaches the way we see life coaches um, and then being like, I'm not nothing like most life coaches. Mm-hmm. Um, and then feeling some kind of way about my worth and about uh, my credibility and all that stuff as, as somebody that can help people with their life, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then being able to be like, but who I who I am is who I want to talk to. I actually, there are there every life coach shows up, I think, in whatever way that they're trying to attract whomever their particular client base is. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to talk to us, you know, whoever us is. If you're looking at my vibe, mm-hmm. you feeling my vibe, then you are who I'm trying to coach with. And I can't be coming at us like I'm Carrie. 
Carrie is Carrie. Mm -hmm. Carrie have her particular experiences. Carrie grew up in Jamaica and, you know, all this other, you know, these other identities and stuff and all these, these other wonderful sisters, Sharon Jameson, Imani Evans. I really admire these sisters and I'm not these sisters. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, so sometimes the shame piece is like really being able to be like, I'm not those sisters. And that's not nothing to be ashamed of because it's too, I have clients right now, literally that are like, the way you show up, like there's no, I've been able to do things with you that I've never been able to do with other coaches because there's something about the way you respect where I'm coming from. Mm. If you live in paycheck to paycheck, literally, if you've been told all your life, you ain't going to never have nothing, ain't going to never be nothing. Or if you used to having to harden up because of wherever it is that you live, like I know, I know what that's like. And I know what it's like to be still holding on to that, yeah. right? While you're an adult trying to navigate bills and stuff like that. And I'm a, I'm going to do my best to speak to that, not only because I am living very similarly, but also because I've been able to do some amazing things in my life. And shame, mm-hmm. holding on to shame would have kept me from doing those things. You know what I mean? Yeah. The shame piece is an everyday thing. Um. And I have realized the beauty in releasing it or having it and moving forward anyway. I, I discovered there's all this stuff I get to do mm-hmm. and I get to be and that I get to have if the more shame I release. So it's not like, poof, Mika sits here 32 with absolutely no shame. Like, that's not true. Mm-hmm. Mika definitely sits here with way less shame than she had at 15 and 16, let alone in my 20s, um, and less shame than I had six months ago. You know, it really is daily work of unpacking, sitting with my wounds, healing as many as I can. Um, if something comes up, honoring it respecting Mm -hmm. it you know what I mean yeah asking it what does it come to teach me so definitely the class you know stuff is what I'm dealing with right now um to about two probably three now three or going on four years ago it was body Mm -hmm. it was body stuff you know um I I live in this body what am I going to do with this body am I going to love this particular you know and Mm -hmm. doing that work and that's also every day and it's not what it looked like four years ago yeah um but yeah, it's, it still works. So it's always work. And I think that sometimes when we talk about this kind of stuff, when we call it work, it sounds scary mm-hmm. and it sounds laborious. And it is. <laughs> it is scary <laughs> and it is laborious. But it's also fun and like exhilarating and liberating. You know, I'm doing stuff that I never dreamed that I would do. You know, I bear my midriff now. You know what I mean? I live in Oakland, California. Um, I just went to Toronto um, because of a, a campaign because people in community showed up and were like, you're doing amazing work. We want to support you. I mean, if I if I sat in shame around my situation, specifically around money and access and resources, um, there's a lot that I wouldn't do, including helping other folks with their stuff around whatever their stuff is, specifically around spirituality, spiritual work mm-hmm. and, um, and body positive work. So for me, the release of the shame is for myself and also for my work. Because I, I got to 
I got to show up to these things. It's one thing to have a, a life coach that's talking that talk, but it's another thing to have a life coach that's literally walking next to you, being like, I'm walking it out too. Yeah. And I feel you. Um, and we, as I figure it out, you'll figure it out. And as you figure it out, we'll figure it out. You know, like, um, I very much meet people where they are because that's what I want. I want to be met where I'm at. Yeah. Yeah. So I know that was kind of a long way to talk <laughs> about shame, but I just really wanted to be honest about how, and how I also, there are really moments of, and I give no zero fucks, <laughs> you know, and it, you know, it, and it depends on what it is. Like when I, um, when I shaved my hair, my hair, I think I shaved it about, probably about five years ago. And that was work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember a friend, I get inspiration from anybody. Right. And so the homie was like, it's hair. It'll grow back. And I was like, word. And it was just that's, the light bulb like, oh, went off, like yeah. <laughs> and, and you know, and shaved it, and have been wearing it like this, and I'm probably about to cut it again. You know, another big, you know, cut, and uh, again out of the same place, out of just the, it'll grow back, and just I think it's I think it's probably a short lesson, but it's like one of the best lessons. All of this will grow back, come back, or mm-hmm. with time, it'll change. And what I feel today, I won't feel in six months or a year about said situation and that's definitely how I work through any shame like girl you remember when you used to feel some kind of way mm-hmm. about your belly now you be having on um, halter tops you know child the way you feel about this you'll feel different you know just start it start the work and then um, like like clockwork always I can release it and move through it what makes you a confident woman or a confident human being hmm Love this question, too. Um, I think I keep having debates with people about this word, confidence, because I'm like, I'm not confident. I'm brave. Mm. That is the difference. You know, that I want to I really want to come from that. Yeah. And I think that that's there's a lot of truth to that. And I'm having to admit that there is some confidence because I also think my spiritual teacher, um, has taught me that confidence is actually about when you know something, mm-hmm. you know, um, and there are some things that I know, you know, I know that I am a really brilliant human being and I know that I'm a very deeply introspective person and I know that I care about others and I know that I care about myself mm-hmm. and I, I hope I know that that for lots of people, it, that informs the way that I move literally so for lots of folks that is confidence it's a lot of people don't don't know none of that mm-hmm. you know they don't know who they are they don't know why they're here I actually do I don't have all the pieces of how it's gonna look but I know why I'm here I'm here to inspire and influence and 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 facilitate healing and trans trans ascendance and and you know spiritual enlightenment in others in a myriad of ways, I'm mm-hmm. real clear about that. So some of the confidence really is about like I know my purpose. That's really a lot. Actually, quite honestly, a lot of it. And then studying. So the other thing that I feel like I've had to learn is like being confident is not about knowing it all, mm-hmm. but about being willing to learn, being willing to be present to the way that the world is turning. You know, and and knowing that you will make mistakes. You will fall. Um, you will not always get it right. 
uh, but you will also have a, a really a lot of fun and you will meet amazing people and do amazing things. And so there is that knowing mm-hmm. that also kind of circles around the unknown that helps me relax. <laughs> because I think sometimes for me, when I've struggled with confidence in the past, I, it was, I was, I was uptight. It was like, I couldn't, I, and I was unsure. Mm-hmm. And now unsurety doesn't scare me like it used to, because I realized that unsurety is not a mark of, uh, of ignorance or, or being ill-informed. I think unsurety, a lot of the time it's about letting the chips fall where they may. And being and being and if you know who you are, then you can roll with it. So it became very, very important for me to figure Mika out more mm-hmm. and less important about um, outside stuff. So I think the confidence comes from that, just a self knowing um, and being very intentional about knowing myself more than anybody else. So you live an intentional life, and you're you're authentic human being. Um, I've spoken with people and when they decided to make that shift or say like these are the changes that I want to be. I don't want to be this person. I want to be this other person. I don't want to accept these standards that other people put on me. Like I'm doing what's good for me and what's best for my mind, my spirit, my soul. Like how do you have you ever had an experience where you had resistance with that? Because I think that's what a lot of people struggle with. Because I think people take it personal when people are saying, I'm going through this growth. Because they're saying, like, if you need to change or your circumstance needs to change, I'm part of that. Mm. That. So how do, what are you saying about me? So I think mm. a lot of people kind of take it personal because you're saying, I am part of that problem that you're trying to change. Like, how do you, have you ever had to navigate through that? Or how would you suggest people to navigate through that? It's something I think about often, quite honestly, because I'm a multiple perspectives person, mm-hmm. you know? I know that just because I see it this way don't mean that somebody else ain't standing across the street looking at it from a completely different angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want I want person across the street to honor my angle. They ain't got to agree with my angle, right? Mm-hmm. But I need them to honor, hey, I'm standing over here, and I see it like this. Um, and so a, a lot of I have so many people that I learn from all the time. I feel like I'm just like dropping in this person and this person, but my, the executive director at the nonprofit that I work at, um, was talking to me about a dream that I had. She does dream interpretation because she's amazing. Um, and she was talking to me. It was a dream that I had and it was in, and whatever, for whatever reason, compassion for myself came up. And she was t- encouraging me, like, the more compassion you have for yourself, you'll have it for others. Mm. And and I definitely think that that's, that's how I navigate. Your perspective is different from mine. Because the truth of the matter is, April, I know that I have not always known what I know today. Mm. Like, I really, I haven't. You know, and I know that's a Malcolm X quote. You know, like, you know, you have, you have, we have to have compassion for each other because we all just know the best that we know right now. So I do, I, again, the educator piece. I, you know, as a hood alchemist, I am a life coach, I'm a spiritualist, and I'm a community educator. It's mm-hmm. very important to me to be informing people. If people And if people are open to a different perspective or open to some information that they did not have before, mm-hmm. I want to be somebody that's, that's making sure that, it, that I'm providing it. 
So I do it with a lot of compassion and with a lot of consent. Consent, consent, consent. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I don't preach, you know. Um, I minister, and, mm-hmm. and for me, ministering is, a, again, about same thing. You know, it's what we view, how we view preachers. You're standing in front of people, you're talking to people, or you're typing something on Facebook, or you're putting something out there on Instagram or whatever. But for me, it's consensual. If I'm saying something directly to you, it's because you've given me permission to do that. Mm-hmm. If I'm talking to you and helping you through something as your life coach, again, you've given me permission to do that. You are somebody that is open and willing. And even then, we're negotiating always just what we're interacting about. You know what I mean? Because, yeah. I, again, I believe consent is important. And I believe compassion for everybody's perspective is important. Even if we came from the same place, you know, the hood and a single mother mm-hmm. and lightweight raised from my father and all that. Even if we have some very similar um, past, it don't. It still don't mean we think about it the same, we look at it the same. And um, I use my Virgo mutability <laughs> and, my, and my adaptability to, to be able to stick and move with people. Mm. Um, and create opportunities for folks to, I call them like laboratories, you know, like yeah. opportunities for folks to feel around and stuff. Sometimes new ideas overwhelm people. Mm-hmm. And it ain't that they don't want to, you know, believe it or think it, but they need a minute to sit with it. You yeah. know, they need, it's too many, it's too much, too, like, too soon, <laughs> you know. And you got to, and I believe that for the work that I do, I got to, I'm somebody that has to and that can give people a minute to wrestle with something. I think. We move sometimes too soon. We want to be able to say the sound bite and then the person get it and they're, they're changed and they go vote the right way. And yeah. that, <laughs> I just think it's it's a it's much more of a process and um, people need a lab. People need space. And I, I, yeah, I believe in that. Have you heard of the six word memoir by Larry Smith? No. Um, it's basically... Um, oh yes, I have. Say it again, but yes, I have. <laughs> the six-word memoir. Yeah. Um, it's just basically you describe your life in six words. Right. So you know what the next question is. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> What's your six-word memoir? Today, on our summer day in June. <laughs> Sitting in my little office, looking at my backyard in the hood. I would say, hold on, six words. One, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, does it have to be a cohesive sentence? No, it's, it's whatever you want it to be. Okay. Alchemy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Specifically, hood alchemy. Um, so that's two words. Um. Yeah. Liberation is a process. So hood alchemy, liberation is a process. What's that? That's six, I believe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So just like one or two more questions, because I know you're probably tired because you have a lot going on. I do have a lot going on, but this is actually fun. <laughs> um, so what's next? So you live in your passion, your purpose. You go out in communities. You help people. 
like what do you see your life like the typical five years or or just in general like how would you like this to grow that's the yes that's that's it grow (laughs) (laughs) that's really what it is i um my partner and i are both non-traditional people um and so my spouse is a um she owns and operates her own pet sitting and dog walking business. Um, and it's also a psychologist. And so we talk about this a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this, what is the next year going to look like? What is the next three or five years going to look like? And for me, um, I don't know if it's going to be an institute or a school or a community center or what, but like, to me, growth would look like a central location mm-hmm. or really not even a central location. I'm going to be real with you. Growth would look like more people doing this work with me, us, mm-hmm. together, collaboration. So I've already kind of put it out there around a couple of projects but like that—that's what growth looks like to me. Me partnering with other people. I'm not no island, and I know that. Mm-hmm. And I also know that I'm saying hood alchemy, and somebody else is calling it something else. Yeah. And somebody else is, and I'm saying life coach and body positive coach, and somebody else is calling it something else. And I—I I want us to find each other, and be making sure that we're providing as much access to this medicine, to this work. Um, so folks is, um, opportunity remember that, you know, that laboratory I was talking about, mm-hmm. just having more of those and making sure that I'm partnering with the, the people that want that too. And I know that, I, you know, I'm already doing that. So just more of that, truly partnering with folks, creating programs, creating online, um, online webinars and online classes, and even making sure that there's somebody in particular regions, mm-hmm. you know, maybe using my curriculum, but in New York or using my curriculum, but in um, Ohio, I don't think that it's sustainable for me to travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to travel, but I don't think that all the time, you know, I know some folks that like, you know, monthly they're going somewhere and it used to be a desire of mine, but now I actually just like to see partnerships, you know, Mm-hmm. And I can think globally, but right now, and I think about five years, partnerships here in the United States. Yeah. Before we finish, what is something that someone told you that changed your life? The one thing that something that someone said that once in a while you always go back to because it has that effect on you. Um, Minister Bobby Jean Baker. Um, God rest her soul. I think it was probably about two years ago now, maybe a year. Bobby Jean has been passed away. Uh, Bobby Jean um, is an activist, trans activist. Um, I think she was from like Kentucky or something, but she lived out here. She used to, she used to call me queen. Mm. like this is upon meeting me and she said this to everybody she didn't just say it to me she would always say do the work 
you need to do the work. Y'all need to do the work, you know. And she was very adamant about, um, and for her, I think the work was like your inner personal work. But I think she also was really talking about um, the work that we're supposed to be doing to make sure that we're liberating folks. Mm. You know, like mm. you can't just talk about it. You got to actually do it. And when I was at her, um, when I was at her homegoing service, you know, there was some people dancing at the end, doing praise dance, and they just holding up the signs. You know, do the work. And I hear it. Other people say it. My uh, my Ianifa, my godmother, mm-hmm. has said it to me. Um, before, right before uh, my initiation year, or not a year, but my initiation into Ishefa, she said, you know, Yumika, you got to do the work. I just feel like I- I'm constantly hearing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and also I go back to it because I realize that anytime I am unhappy or unsatisfied, or, and even times when the depression really seeps in and gets, it's, it's nine out of ten that's some work I haven't done. And it can be Mika work, interpersonal work. It could be some creative work. It could be the work with my relationship with my spouse mm-hmm. or my other family members and loved ones. You know that, um, yeah. So I feel like I'm always going back to Bobby Jean and other elders that have said to me, you know, do the work. And, and in ways, again, that never feel like judgment, mm-hmm. but that all, but that feel like a call, like a call to action, like just calling me up. I, I hang on to that a lot. Well, you definitely seem like you're doing the work, <laughs> so that's good. Thanks. <laughs> and that's always good to remember. It's like, I'm having a shitty day, but I got to do the work. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes that shitty day is the work. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I think I think interpersonal work is either, it's, it's binary, which is weird. It's like romanticized and people are floating and doing yoga and and drinking green juice and bowing to the, you know, and that, yes, that that too. Mm -hmm. Or it's got this other kind of um, image of thinking too hard, thinking too deep, trying too hard, you know, and it's, it's a messy and, you know, and I just think, I think it, it swings. I think there are definitely floaty days and, and where meditating is easy and deep breathing is easy. Mm-hmm. And then there are times where meditating and deep breathing is the last thing I want to do. <laughs> and, and I actually just want to cuss everybody out or one particular, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so the work to me is like navigating all of that, AKA navigating my humanity. I think, I think we're taught entirely too much how messed up our humanity is. And I believe that one of our greatest spiritual practices is embracing this existence, humanness. Mm. You know, so that's what I, when I say do the work, that's what I'm talking about. Hey, you're a human being, dude. You're not like perfect life coach lady or perfect hood alchemist or, Mm -hmm. and all of that humanity actually makes you really good at what you do. So for me, that is a major part of the work, holding on to that. that concludes the interview thank you so much (laughs) are you ready for more hard hand questions no I'm just like oh okay (laughs) but thank you so much again you're welcome that concludes our interview with Tamika Clear for more information about Tamika check out her website www.clear-understandings.com 
Thanks for listening to Can We Talk Podcast. If you have any questions, please email me at canwetalkpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time.